0: so pants my soul to you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living of God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Or well, they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go to the throne! and lead them in Christmas to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down all my soul? Why are you in turmoil? Hope in God. Well I, shall, well, I shall again praise him, my salvation, my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you have not forsaken us. That you have not lifted your hand that you hold us up in your mighty right hand, your righteous right hand. We thank you, God, that you're in this place. Holy Spirit, we need you this morning. I need you this morning. I pray that you would soften every heart in this town. Every person in earshot of this word, God, that you would speak. That you would mould our hearts, and shape it. That two-edged sword that would pierce through the coldest and hardest. God, that you would reveal things in us today that we've never seen. That you would show us things. That you would search our heart. Amen. You know, this morning, I actually want to encourage you. <laughs> I don't want to cry, I want to encourage you. Jesus is on the throne. He's never got off. He's not getting off. He's still the head of this church. And whilst that's an exciting thing, it's a scary thing too. Because he's pretty thorough and he's pretty good. But he is on the throne. And he's on the throne of my heart, and I pray he's on the throne of yours. Because he wants so much for you, he wants so much for this city. This morning, we're continuing. For those that don't know, my name is Gary, and we're continuing in a short series called Love One Another. And it's a privilege and an honour to be up here this morning to bring this morning's word. And I just pray that I keep out of God's way and He actually (laughs) says what He wants to say and I don't muck it up. Um, This morning's scripture was Galatians 6, 1 5, which says, Bear one another's burdens. And I want to read it again this morning. It's such a powerful piece of scripture. And it's so timely for where we're at. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on your soul, lest you two be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not. In his neighbour. For each will have to bear his own load. You know as we go through this scripture the very first word, brothers, says everything about this message, what it's about, who it's to. It's to the church, it's to you and me. There's no escaping that, there's no dodging it, there's no slow-mo watching a matrix bullet fly by and go that was for the person behind me. Actually, talking to us, talking to you and me. To be a brother is, is, is to be considered a brother that this is referring to in the church is so precious. It's a precious part it's not something we claim lightly. And what enables us to be called brothers and, and to be considered part of the church is Christ. And that makes it special or hard, do But he goes on, says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, You know this scripture: anyone caught in transgression isn't a matter of we catch somebody in the act. We just happen to walk in and well, look, somebody's in transgression. We got you. You know the church is not called to be the morality police. We're not to go out there with our hat and our magnifying glass, looking for evidence, trying to find sin in each other's life. This is not what the church is called. What Paul's describing here is someone who's entangled or fallen into sin. It's the things like, and I think we can all put a hand up to this, we've had a bad moment, bad day, that temptation we just didn't quite beat. We liked it just that little bit too much. This is who Paul's talking about. It's people that have realised that they've actually transgressed. They've sinned. They've fallen short. They've displeased God. They know that they're not as righteous as they could be or should be. This is not to be confused with people that are in unrepentant sin. They continue to wallow in it, bathe in it, repeatedly and unrepentantly. It's a very different set. This is someone that's actually just the trips. We haven't caught them. They've worked it out themselves through the Holy Spirit, through God. He's actually met them where they're at and said, Is nah, that really good? You don't need that. I've got so much better for you. Paul goes on in verse 1 and he says, You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You know, for the repentant Christian, this is someone that's been caught in the transgression. They're looking for restoration, they're not looking for judgment, they're not looking for, you know, to be highlighted to the world. But they want to be better. They want to. Be, they want to improve. They want to go from strength to strength and become a better Christian and a better person. You know, we do things with temptations and we succumb to them. I learned this personally that that when I succumb to a temptation, it's because I want to, not forced, not tricked, wasn't deceived. I just chose that over God. It's really simple. Not proud of it, but that's what happens. We're human. This restoration refers to a restoring of fellowship into the body of Christ. It's not about forgiveness. We can't forgive. Jesus has already taken care of that. The moment you actually get on your knee and confess your sins and confess to God and ask for His forgiveness and plead the blood, you're forgiven. Dealt with. It. Move on. But this is about restoration into the body. Because the person has been forgiven by faith alone, but what they want and what they need is the benefit of a body to support them in their walk. We need each other. We can't do this on our own. There's no such thing as Christian silence. No low ranges in Christianity. Even with conflict. He goes on and says, you who are spiritual, who are the spiritual ones? There must be only select people that can do this very special people, the ones that walk around with the badge, because I'm spiritual. Therefore I can actually bring restoration. The term spiritual actually describes a person who's just walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. Which hopefully is every single person in this room. Those of us who are walking in the spirit and demonstrating the fruit of the spirit in a consistent way are the ones to restore our weak brothers and sisters. Now typically the safest people, if you're in this place where you feel like you're in transgression, where you know you're in transgression, it's not really a, a question, you know where you are. Look for people that are in leadership. They're normally tried and tested and proven that they actually do walk in the spirit because it's not something you can, you can you know, there's not a litmus to the paper you can go and put on the skin and go, oh yeah, you walk in the spirit, I can talk to you. You're not sure. Seek out leaders, seek out people that you respect, that you trust. Paul tells us that we are to be led by the Spirit. In Galatians 5, chapter 5, one chapter earlier in 18, he says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, our current human existence, we are either led by the Spirit or led by the flesh. There's two things. We've got two things in our life. God or the devil. Flesh or spirit. Believers are led by the Spirit and not under the law. If you're a believer here this morning, Know that. You are led by the Spirit. You have the Spirit of God within you to lead you. You're no longer under the law. But for unbelievers, you are led by the flesh. And sadly, you stand condemned by the law. As Christians, because of our belief and faith, we have what I call possessional righteousness. And what do I mean by possessional righteousness? Righteousness. It's not what we are or where we are, it's whose we are. It's because we belong to Christ, we have his righteousness that we get to actually carry around with us. We're not righteous. We have not one bit of righteousness in us. It's not this church that makes us righteous. It's not what we believe. It's not what we do. It's not the building. It's Christ in how we get righteousness. We're righteous by faith. And that righteousness, it's left with a promissory note which says one day you will be righteous in your own right. But that is certainly not now. The promissory note is the form of the Holy Spirit. When we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and lives lives within us. He occupies our hearts and our souls and he reminds us that one day we will be righteous when we get our resurrected body. But until that time, we have to rely on Christ's righteousness because we don't cut the mustard. Christians are to be led by the Spirit. This is in place of the Lord, place of the flesh. The law no no longer guides us as Christians, because we have the very author of the law living within us. We don't need rules, we don't need the book. We have the Holy Spirit. We just need to look in, connect, spend time, pray, Read, fellowship with God, and feed our spirit. Paul in Galatians 16-25 to talks about keeping in step with the spirit. He says this, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We live by the Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know, in this Passage of scripture were given two lists. Two very separate lists I might add. One, the first list is the works of the flesh and the second is the fruit of the spirit. So we have the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. Now for those of us who grew up in Sunday School, possibly even taught it, we're kind of always taught the fruits of the Spirit. And it was always a good thing to, to remember, you've always got a reward. However, I think the mistake we can make, and I did this, we think of them things to attain or not to attain. Things to do, things don't do. It. Rules, laws. I've got to tick these boxes. I've got to make sure I don't tick those boxes. In essence, what these are is what our life produces by default based on how we live our life. These are not things we strive to do. These are the things that are evident of what we do. It's the byproduct of what we do. These two lists really represented by Paul contrast the way of life and the subsequent fruit. They're not prescriptive, the goals to achieve. But when we look at the word flesh, we're really... He's describing an unbeliever. And they're the traits, the characteristics of an unbeliever. They're all the things that you'd expect from unbelievers. And why would you expect less? They're unbelievers. That's what they... Why we sort of get this moral ground with unbelievers, I'm not sure why, because at the end of the day, this is what they are. Now, they don't do all those things, but there's a, a number of those elements that actually sit there. Wherefore, Christians who live a life led by the Spirit, the fruits of that are the fruits of the Spirit. So we can see immediately that there are contrasts between two different people. It's not so much what's in them, but it's just really symbolic of who's who's who in the zoo. But when we interpret Paul's point, when he lists those two lists, there's a few things that we need to remember, and that is that they're not intended to be inclusive or all-inclusive. You know, if we look at the characteristics that identify the unbeliever, there's 15 listed up there. But murder, theft isn't up there. You've all probably got some other ones that you think aren't up there. Because it's not meant to be all-inclusive. It's symbolic. It's demonstrative of what is an unbeliever look like and what it reflects. Likewise, when we look at the nine fruits of the Spirit, Where's charity, self-sacrifice, wisdom? There's many other gifts that actually, or um, fruits that come out of our life as a Christian that aren't listed there. So again, not all inclusive either. Because it's not meant to be a specific list. As long as you've got those, you're good. It doesn't work that way. It's great. The other thing about these lists is they're not mutually exclusive either. How many know a believer can exhibit behaviours more typical of the flesh? We get angry, we can be jealous, we can get drunk, we can be idolatrous, we can be divisive, we can be any one of those things and still be a Christian. Not that that's a good thing, but we can. And an unbeliever can exhibit a behaviour typical of a believer where they can show patience, kindness. You know, plenty of people in the world that are not Christians that demonstrate these attributes, But that doesn't make them a Christian. Because it's these acts and behaviours that don't determine who you are, they represent who you are. That's why in verse 21 Paul uses the word practice, or in our the, in the translation it says, do such in describing these traits, because when you practice these things the flesh produces a lifestyle of these behaviors and it will become very evident anybody who spends enough time with you will very quickly learn who you really are very it's very it's very hard on a Sunday just you know pass someone an aisle and think you actually know who they are spend some time with each other you begin to really know who each other is and whether they're led by the flesh or led by the Spirit Since the unbeliever only has the flesh, then these behaviours will be the norm. We can't expect them to do anything different. They don't have the Holy Spirit with them. It's only the Spirit of God within us that enables us to actually have the fruits of the Spirit. So what's the point of the list? Over time, a Spirit-led life should produce in us a degree of observed righteousness. We should be able to see the fruit of of God in our lives as we get to know each other, as we walk with each other, as we suffer with each other, as we fellowship with each other, as we love one another. We begin to understand where each other is at, what we're coming through and not judge them from afar because we see them for two minutes or ten minutes or a Sunday morning. We already have possessional righteousness based on our profession of faith. In verse 16, chapter 5, Paul said, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It's really subtle. It's the things you want to do. We have these two opposing, flesh, spirit. We choose. God doesn't take our brain and leave it at the door. We have three wheels still. We can do the things that God wants us to do or we can do the things that our flesh wants to do. We we have an element of control. We choose. But because we being Christians have the Holy Spirit in it, we have the means for pursuing, pursuing and observe righteousness by following the leading of the Spirit. As we follow Christ, as we follow his leading and do what he's calling us to do and behave and act in a manner that actually he's calling us to, We have the hope because following the Spirit will produce fruitful evidence of the Spirit work. It cannot be anything but. It's not optional. You follow the Spirit, you will bear these things. You don't have to try. They'll just ooze out of you. You follow the flesh, it will ooze out of you. The evidence can't be measured in discrete times, it's measured on balance and over time. As I said, we need to spend time with each other. We need to walk with each other and we'll very quickly learn which has a dominant effect in our life. You know, just as the unrighteous practice unrighteousness, the believer will come to demonstrate more and more evidence of righteousness if we practice righteousness and, follow, and do that by following the Lord. When we follow the Spirit, we'll find that more and more our thoughts and our behaviours will align with the Lord's desires. Seek him first, his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. When we put God first and we actually trust him over everything and we seek him over everything, the evidence will become. We'll all of a sudden be very patient where before we had outbursts of anger. we learn to be faithfully reliant on the Lord where before we engaged in perhaps idolatry and sorcery. Strife and disputes will fade and in their place we'll find peace and joy. Immorality, and purity, and drunkenness all replaced by self-control. Hatred and selfishness are replaced with sacrificial love. But if we resist the leading of the Spirit then we will largely remain where we started. If our flesh continues to dominate us then the behaviours we exhibit will continue to mirror those of unbelievers. That's why Paul in verse 25 Says that since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in the same manner. As Christians, were called to live walking the walking spirit. Paul emphasises that the transformation is reserved for the believer because it depends on the spirit. It's the critical factor. If you do not have God in your life, you'll never be able to achieve this performance Without the Holy Spirit, unbelievers will have will not have the power to make this transition. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have God in your life. You wouldn't consider yourself a believer. Maybe today's the day for you to reconsider that, to come to Jesus and and accept what he's done, accept that he died on the cross for us. He died on the cross for you to forgive you of your sins so that you can live a life that starts producing the fruit, righteous fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. But you know, it's equally important for us as Christians to remember that living under the law of Moses is also powerless to produce the fruit of righteousness. At the end of verse 23, Paul says, against such things there are no law. Or another word, in the Greeks translated, is according to, which you could say, according to such things there is no law. So at the end of the, the fruits of the Spirit, it's saying you can't actually achieve them through the law. It is just purely to be walking in the spirit. The law merely prohibits certain behaviours and mandates other behaviours. That's all the law is. If you can do this, you can't do that. Where Jesus doesn't, and the Holy Spirit within us, when we're led by him, doesn't make that way. You know, we can dwell on the on the two lists, but the real values we've found in step back and considering Paul's argument overall, and his concern is whether we're taking advantage of our freedom. To experience righteousness by walking in the Spirit? Will we follow the Spirit and enjoy a taste of righteousness now, for it's a sweet thing to act in a righteous way? It's a taste of heaven that only the believer can experience. Or, will we remain living in our flesh, satisfying our fleshly desires? Or even worse, will we get sidetracked in pursuing a dead and useless law and attempt to pursue self-righteousness? Neither will bring us the fruit of the Spirit that's a shame a waste of time, particularly in times like this. So that's why Paul ends in verse 26 saying, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Not to be too proud to think it couldn't happen or it. it couldn't be me. I couldn't be like that, I couldn't fall into that trap. You know, when we try to pursue self-righteousness, we immediately begin to compare our performance with others, always looking for a standard we can be. How we measure, it. where am I at? How am I to you know, how do I compare to to someone else? Well, I'm not doing bad at place, but I must be doing that right. It's fleshly, selfish, and it's counter to true sanctification. Coming back to our verses today in chapter six, Paul insists that Christians put aside the law and thoughts of self righteousness and pursue living by the Spirit seeking to experience a measure of righteousness. Can I give you a newsflash this morning? There's no Christian in this room that will follow the Spirit perfectly. Can I encourage you with that? It's not something we attain for, but can I encourage you that there isn't one person in this room that will follow the Spirit without fault? It's impossible for us to follow the Spirit without fault. To stop beating yourself up, rest in grace, and mercy, the love of Christ. Sin is still an ever-present reality inside of heaven. We carry a thing called a flesh bag, and it's it's deceitful and as evil. as a day long. It was not born again. Our spirits were born again. Our flesh, our body, our mind—it's still the same old but our spirit is a new creation. What does spirit-led living look like, given the reality of the church is made up of sinful people? It's very, un- it's so unlike the way the law regulated the conduct. Of it. it says if we live according to the law, then when one of us sinned, we would be forced by the law to exact the price from that person as a condition of restoration. But see, under grace, we don't exact anything except the repentant heart. That's all that's required. A repentant heart. A softened heart, a heart that will break. Instead of judgment, condemnation, Paul gives us a spirit of gentleness. He says to bear one another's a burden. Paul warns those who restore the plot, those who are spirit-led, that act to restore fellowship, that they are not to become faulty like the Pharisees did. That we can't forget that we are also sinners who are caught in trespasses from time to time. No one here has a right. No one here is perfect. No one is free from stumbles, so we must maintain a healthy, healthy self-image. Self-awareness is such a valuable tool. We need to know who we are, honestly. Each of us, individually, before God. If we can't be honest before God, has a very good way of holding us accountable and making us honest. Paul says to keep watching yourself. Look at yourself, meaning continually examine your own heart. Search my heart, over. Create in me a clean spirit. Create in me a clean spirit. That's You know, he says that so that we're not be tempted to think that we're better than you are. <laughs> I, had a, I, had a, I don't know if I, I shared this before. Um, I had a CEO that I worked for. Years ago in, in, uh, in Victoria, Western Victoria, and, and I was just quite happily going on with my job and doing what I thought I was meant to be doing, and and she walked into the room, and it was a, it was a rather a big room, and from across the room she said, "Hey, Sperling, get over yourself." I didn't know what she meant at the time, but I've had many years to reflect over that. And it was probably the best thing I could have been told, because I'm actually. Not. I'm a nobody. I thought I was a big shot executive. Just a servant. loves God, fears God. We need to get over ourselves that we're not righteous. None of us. His righteousness that enables us to claim that claim. The effect of the grace orientated approach to sin in the body is that we bear one another's burdens You know, when you sin, you come to me and confess it and I'll restore you based on grace. And when I sin, I can come to you and you can grant me restoration as well. That's how we should works. We're all going to sin. We're all going to mess up. We shouldn't fear being able to come to a brother or sister in Christ and cry on the shoulder or ask him to pray. The burden is praying with that person, maybe walking with them for a while. Having coffee, having dinner, catching up, reading the Bible together, praying together. This is the burden that's being talked about here. It's not a matter of saying, oh, great to see you back. Let's get next Sunday. No, it might be actually going out of your way and loving somebody, giving them some time and attention, caring for one another. In that course of exchange, we're encouraging and exhorting one another to be better. At the end of the day, I read, saw this quote. Um, the Facebook scoops up and some quotes. Um, and it's talking about evangelism. It says, We're just one beggar telling another beggar where we found some bread. That's who we are. Broken people. We found a healer. And we're just trying to tell people how they can be healed. That's it, in essence. It's a simple gospel. It's a loving message not about browbeating, Bible bashing, manipulation, conversion. It's about just sharing the hope of that. It's a wonderful difference from a church living under the combination of law. But this is where it gets a bit confusing because whilst there's no law, there is law. We're not without it. Paul says that when we live this way, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. So, okay, which law is it? Well, it's not the law of Moses, we're fulfilling it, it's the law of Christ. The law replaces, the law of Christ replaces the law of Moses. This is why we say that the Christians still live by those standards, For those standards aren't found in reading the Ten Commandments or any other part of the law of Moses. They're found on our heart, directed by the Holy Spirit. I can't give you a list of what those laws are. Because for each and every one of us it might be slightly different. The principle is the same. as a Christian I don't drink. My wife and I don't drink. We made that decision on our wedding day. We figured we had enough problems in our life that we didn't need alcohol. Although having now lived with my wife for 29 years <laughs> no, not true. She probably says the same. So I should throw um if you know the, the reality is is there are plenty of Christians who here the drink. Does that make you a than a Christian? No. And I'm not going to put my conviction or my law that I think God has told me to do on you. It's between you and God. I don't judge you. I'm used to. It. Come along with In God's wisdom, He chose to write His law in blood on our hearts, where we can't see it. Instead, we can only follow Him in the Spirit of Truth. This relies on us praying, and reading, and having relationship with Him, because you can't follow the Spirit if you're You can't follow the Spirit if you're not seeking Him. You can't follow the Spirit if you're not meeting, him. gathering together with brothers and sisters. If we don't do any of those things then we'll end up living by a legalistic code of rules and we begin to deceive ourselves. In verse 3 of chapter 6 it says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself. We start building these laws that think, well I'm actually okay. It's a bit of Paul talks about in Romans is moralism. We think, well I'm not as bad as Fred because I, I didn't do that I, would have, you know, I might have. I might have I don't know, I but we compare and we go, well, you know, uh, on the scale, I'm pretty good. It doesn't work that way. We think of ourselves better than we truly are simply because we begin to meet some standards. We forget that, every, that for every standard we do meet, there are probably a we don't. But we don't talk about them. Now. We deceive ourselves through selective rule keeping and moreover we grow into life inspectors or the morality police and we start, ooh, I saw you. It's not how it works. We soon begin to evaluate everyone else to decide if they have measured up to the rules as well. And when we do this we find it easier to boast about ourselves in relation to others. Gee, I'm pretty spiritual. I'm pretty spiritual. I'm that spiritual guy that we are talking about. All this energy is wasted and worthless. Paul says we should focus on examining our own lives, not others. Worry about yourself. Where are you at? Where are you at with God? I don't mean that in a judgment way, I mean that in a loving way. Where are each of us at with God? These are the questions we should be asking. What's my part in this? How have I added to this? He says, we will have reason to boast concerning ourselves in the future. The future Paul is talking about is our judgment day when we stand before the Lord. God's so going to ask you, what did you do with my son? He's not going to ask, what did your neighbor do? What did your wife do? What did your kids do? What did your husband do? What did you do? And using anyone else other than yourself as an excuse is not going to cover it. We need to focus on ourselves. Where are we at? Where's our heart? Are we following the flesh or are we following the spirit? He says in verse 4 that our judgment won't come in relation to other men, it comes in relation to the Lord's desires. But let each one of you test his own work and then his reasons to boast within himself alone and not in his neighbour. And in that sense, each man will bear his own load. On our judgment day, we'll bear personal responsibility for what? be sobering. God keeps good accounts. And in that moment, comparisons we made between ourselves and others don't happen. It's all about you personal relationship, a corporate relationship. We come together corporately, which makes the body, but it's us individually that is open. He wants us to come together. As I bring this to a close, the band wants to come and make their way. In the Galatians, we read, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. So, so the law of Christ, for if anyone thinks he is something when well, he is nothing to deceives himself. But well, let each one test his own work, and then the reason, then his reason goes to be himself alone, not anything. So each one has to be own. You know, today I hope we learn that as followers of Christ, we're not perfect. I hope you've been comfortable in that. We're not perfect. You're not meant to be perfect. We are fallible. Mm-hmm. We're not always in the step Christ. We don't always walk in the spirit. It's actually impossible. We should attain for it. But so we won't always achieve it. We have this flesh bag that until the day we get our resurrected bodies, in, that if we feed our flesh more than we feed our spirit, it will always be. What are you feeding more? I think it was Billy Graham that told the story of a a guy that brought two dogs to a dog fight and it didn't matter which one he bet on it, the one he bet on always won and when he was asked how did he you know he said well I only feed the one that I want to win it's no different to us. feed your spirit feed your flesh we need to restore our brothers and sisters caught to transgression not in self-righteousness but in grace and gentleness the key is repentance. We have to be repentant. I want to do better. We need to examine our hearts, our motives. And remember. Jeremiah says in 17.9, says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Don't trust your heart. Trust Jesus. Trust the Holy Spirit that's within you. Don't think yourself better than anyone else lest you be tempted. In, in that examination, ask God to show you how. Now Satan may have snared you. Either by commission or omission. In contributing to our current situation. How are we here? Don't think of yourself higher than you are, thinking you are something. Paul clearly says we are better. Test your own work so that you can boast about it on your day. Don't, you? don't worry about everyone else's. What about yours? You know, as a church, we are going through a very testing time. You only have to look around and see some seems to be more bad news. People resign. People leave. We're back to one service. Chinese congregation finishing up today. We get emails throughout the week from the church talking about ministries that are shutting down and going to a skeleton. Something's happening. You know, for those of us who remain, to say we can't put ourselves with this. Oh God's sifting the church is pruning and then those that have left God's taken his hand it to you the broken Needs to stop. I don't believe that this is a sifting, and nor is God the but I don't believe that wholeheartedly. Oh, Good, godly people have left this church please. shouldn't have happened. Our prayer should be that God will keep them from and perhaps direct them back one day. You know, we can't and we must not be angry with anyone in this church or anyone that's left. What we should do, and what we should be, is anger with the devil. As he's had too much of a stronghold in his house, and it's time to clean house. Take to me of this conceited, independent, rebellious, and divisive spirit that has ripped the hearts of the women. Good men and women. Whether we realize it or not, we've all got a part to play. Whether it's for a commission or a mission. Sitting there doing nothing. The guilty as a next. When will we stand up? How much longer will we tolerate this destroying cult? We'll, we'll have to leave. The is closed down before we repent. And in Ephesians 6 it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the conflict of God and the of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day." And having done all to stand firm. God's grace and mercy is sufficient, so is the church for repentant hearts. You know, this morning, as we sing, if we will repent, admit our transgressions. We're welcome. Those that are spirit led. Restore those. Restore each other into fellowship. Christ is He's good to forgive. You. But if we don't humble ourselves, I'm so fearful. This morning as we sing, I want to open the cold. Can I do that? No. But I want to invite each and every one to give a private place. To see God's face. It's in your heart. You can't get down the front. Do not you see. But please. please, We need to do business God We need to turn the ship around. And we can't do that with that